Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 79 of Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker, and I am truly excited and a little emotional, honestly, about this week's episode for a couple of reasons that I'll get to in a moment. Uh, first, want to start by thanking all of the folks who make this show possible. Uh, first of all, Jeff West and the good folks at IPC Indy, IndyPerformanceComposites.com is their website. Sure would appreciate it if you all would uh, go to the website and check them out and uh, see what they have to offer. also want to thank Sean Cathcart and the staff at Skip's Fish Fry and uh, Rich Worth and the staff as well at JNS Paving. Um, Really appreciate their support as well. Uh, and don't forget McGrath's Pub, too. That is Sean's other business. Uh, so happy to be with you this week and um, going to be an interesting show. We, uh, I was able to uh, have a really cool conversation with Jeff Abold and anxious for you to hear this. Jeff is a, a gentleman that honestly... Uh, there, you know, there are certain people who are just really good speakers and have great voices and are really easy to listen to and very fascinating as well. You feel like when you're done talking to them that you've learned something. Jeff is one of those people for me uh, and just uh, had a lot of fun talking to him last night. So we're going to bring that to you here in a little bit as our uh, featured interview for the week. Um, and also, we... Uh, I love talking classic. I could do it all day, every day. Classic's coming up faster than it ought to be, honestly. Um, you know, you go into this year thinking, oh, this is great. We have two classics. And now we're almost to the second one already. It feels like it went by in a flash. Uh, we're going to talk about classic. And I one of the things, the traditions, I guess you could say, that I started with um, the rebirth of this show a couple of years ago was that you know we would go back and uh, talk about various classic races. And I think um, last year, I think I did it in five-year increments leading up to uh, what the 2020 Classic would have been. Obviously, that didn't happen until the spring of this year. But um, this year, I'm going to just kind of be random, just as... Uh, you know, as I as I feel inspired and the classic that I picked to talk about on this show is the 1977 edition of the classic. And the reason that I did that is because the driver who should have won that race is going to be a main attraction on Saturday this weekend at Retro Night at the Oswego Speedway, Kempton Dates. Kemp ran out of fuel 
with a few laps to go in that race, ended up winning it as an as a builder because it was his car driven by Warren Conium that he built for Dave McKnight that ended up winning that race. And Kempton and Warren were great friends. You know, it just seemed appropriate looking back. I didn't think about it much at the time. I was young. You just don't sort of have that big picture mentality when you're a kid. But looking back, it just seems appropriate that um, that Kempton, if he couldn't win it as a driver at that moment, that it was one of his cars that won. We're, so we're going to talk about that classic. Um, and, and again, one of the, the things I like to do with this show is spend a little time in the opening segment just sort of talking about something that's of interest to me at this time or you know, whatever, kind of a, a little monologue or, or what have you. I try to keep them short. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I don't. Um, but I do hope that you enjoy them each week, and I try to make them relevant. This week, I think it it's very relevant. Um, I just finished, as I record this, I literally just finished going through my draft uh, that Jody Dates was kind enough to send to me of the book that's going to be available this Saturday at the Speedway about Kempton. This is a book that Jody, who is Kemp's niece, and Faye, who is Kemp's wife, put together. It is not the traditional sort of book full of text and words and all of that. There's, there's, uh, a fair amount of that in there, but this is really kind of a picture book uh, more than anything. It's 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 like a scrapbook, and and literally reading through it, this was not the final version that I got. Uh, there were a few little changes that have been made since, but I feel that this book for fans is going to be extremely different. It's going to be. I think this is a really cool concept. You know, as a writer and someone who has spent a good part of his life in the media, um, you know, I'm very focused on words and stories and editing and grammar and perfection and, you know, all of these demands of the craft. This book is awesome because it sort of flies in the face of all of that, not to say that it took any less work to put it together. In truth, it probably took more than it would have if, you know, we, we'd all just written stories about Kemp and somebody would have assembled them. Um, my point is that it's refreshing. This is a really, this book feels like a keepsake. This book is it pictures, we are always more entertained by pictures. And that's why I think, you know, obviously the internet trend has been so much about video and you're seeing all these, you know, other uh, apps like Instagram and whatever that are photo-based or, you know, and then you got obviously video that's kind of now the number one thing on, on the web. Um, because I think that we are hardwired more by you know, to sort of stop and be entertained by looking at something and, and the picture or the video than we are, uh, or someone telling you a story than we are just reading them. And, and again, um, you know, I love writing and I haven't done enough of it lately. That's coming. There are some things I've, I, I want to do with the writing craft. 
that are coming up here. But um, anyways, to get back to the topic, I, um, I just there is so much in this book, um, so many things that I didn't remember, um, and so many things, you know, recollections about Kemp, about the the, the days in which he raced, um, Bruce Lee, Lou Bannister, Tom Johnson. Um, you know, Faye, uh, wrote a couple of really nice things. Jody, um, myself with a forward, um, it, <laughs> my brother's actually in there. That was cool. Um, you know, different, uh, fans, um, Kempton's sons have a, a, a written piece in the book. Um, there is just, it's just chock full of fun. That's really what I think about. Um, and, you know, just uh, a labor of love, I think this book was. And it, and it so perfectly captures not only Kempton's career, but also um, the, the, the amazement and just the, um, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but, you know, incredible um, just awe of the restoration, the um, you know, how incredible was it that, you know, they were able to get a hold of Kemp 77 winning, uh, 77 championship winning car and, uh, and, and Kempton and, you know, a lot of other people restored, have restored this car. Um, it, from all that I hear, it is, it just really lit a spark, uh, you know, in Kempton, and I'm so thankful that it did that. Um, and by the time this show uh, is 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 heard, uh, I will have reshared the interview, the show in which I had Kempton on uh, very early on in the kind of second iteration of this Inside Groove show. Um, I wanted to do that first because I wanted the newer uh, members of this audience who you know, aren't as uh, calendrically experienced as <laughs> as I am uh, and weren't alive back then or weren't going to the track or whatever um, to, to witness all of this as I was blessed enough to uh, when it was happening in the, in the 70s. Um, I wanted them all to be able to hear Kempton. I thought it would be a good way to sort of, okay, listen to Kemp. Now get the book and please everyone buy this book. The, the, the thing that would make me so happy is if there was such overwhelming demand for this book that there, there was, um, there was a reason for them to do a second printing. Um, because not only for, for Kempton, uh, who contributed so much time and effort, did so much wor work over the years and, and worked so hard in his career. But because this book really is a representation of all of what was going on in that period of super modified racing. I mean, it's about Kempton, but it really is an illustration of just the pure uh, camaraderie and the joy and the excitement and the energy of what supermodified racing was about at, at the Oswego Speedway and beyond, 
in the uh, you know sixties and seventies, uh, and and of course into the eighties as well. Um, just a really different time. There are a lot of stories about um, you know things that happened off the track. Uh, Kempton and Warren Conium involved in a couple of those. Uh, John Clapham and Doug Duncan and different just just things that'll make you laugh and <laughs> and um, you know have a great time reading this and and looking through it and just really uh, picturing in your mind's eye what it must have been like back then. Um, and so I hope that you all will buy this. Uh, and Kempton will be there with the race car on Saturday this weekend at Retro Night. Uh, I think the intent is that he's going to hot, uh, well, he's going to take laps with the car. I don't want to say hot lap it. Um, but uh, he's going to take some laps with it and I think um, is going to pace the, the, the feature field. I'm not positive about that part, but I think that's the intent. And um, what's hard for me is I can't be there uh, as much as I wanted to be. I, I just can't duty calls and I can't make it up this weekend, but my heart is going to be there. Um, and I can't wait to watch the whole thing on the flow. I really hope that that they will broadcast the laps that Kent takes and and all of that. Um, I can't wait to see that through the uh, through the lens of the cameras with Flow Racing, and um, I I really really just hope that the weather is amazing and fantastic, and um, everybody goes out and and greets Kemp. Um, and, you know, is able to sort of witness this moment in Speedway history because um, realizing that, that the 1977 season happened about 44 years ago, um, wow, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to think it's been that long. Um, Kempton, I know, is going to just really enjoy the fans enjoying that moment and enjoying him. And so I hope that you will all go out and you will all uh, take the time to uh, get a book. Of course, they've got t-shirts as well. Get a t-shirt. Um, you know, this, this is, uh, this is a great moment in speedway history. And um, you know, it's an opportunity to remember a, a gentleman who was one of the best to ever sit in a super modified. And um, so this show Although it's episode 79, this show is kind of a dedication to Kempton, but, but really a dedication to, um, to his what's going to happen this weekend. I couldn't think of a more appropriate time. And it isn't uh, that I bring up the 77 Classic as a downer. Somebody would say, well, why would you want to bring that up? That wasn't a great moment in his career. Well, it was because he won the track championship that year. He dominated the classic, and yes, he ran out of fuel, and that could be considered a, a downer. But again, as a builder, the, he won the race, and I think the magnitude of that, uh, you know, can't be understated. That although he himself didn't take the checkered flag, one of his cars did, and one of his best friends did, and they remain close friends to this day, which is awesome. Um, and so. Um, you know, I, I just think that uh, it's a good time to sort of dive into what was going on in 1977 at the Speedway 
and to talk about uh, that race in in general. So we're gonna we're gonna do that on this show. Um, this is kind of a a bit of a different show. Um, again, we're gonna gonna hear from Jeff, and then we'll talk in the final segment about classic, and we'll talk about um, the number seventy nine as well, which is kind of a hard number to talk about in Speedway history because. Um, to my knowledge, there haven't been a ton of them. Um, so I'll actually be intrigued this week and interested to see if any of you can add to my very limited uh, knowledge and memory of the number 79 because uh, I only know of a couple, I think. So we'll, uh, we'll tax my brain when we get to that segment. But um, hope you all enjoy the show. And again, I hope that everybody who can get to the track on Saturday night will take the time to go because to me this this night because of what it means and because Kemp's going to be there and I'm sure there'll be some other old uh, old timers uh, there as well even though the reunion's not going to happen and I know the Canadian border's still closed but I would hope that we would have some, <clears throat> excuse me some other old timers there um, and to to join Kemp and uh, and to see Kemp and to kind of enjoy that moment for Kemp. So uh, can't wait, uh, even though I can't be there, um, which, uh, again, just I hate it. But, um, you know, I, I really want everybody to go out and support it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to, uh, as always, watch Flow uh, and uh, watch the broadcast, even if it has to be on Sunday. So um, we're going to take a break. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with uh, episode 79. And we've got Jeff Abold with us now on the hotline. Jeff, of course, uh, picked up the win at Sandusky on Friday night of High Miler Weekend last weekend. Jeff, always tough with or without the top wing, or I guess I should say, Jeff, more accurately, doesn't matter where you put the wing on your car. It runs pretty fast. Yeah, so far, so far, so good. Uh, 
this season's been a little a little tough, but I I feel like we've been been fast. Um, the car's been good at Oswego, and then we can seem to be able to put the wing on and make some changes. And we have a enough of a notebook now on these tracks and going back to them for the second, third time now in a, the same amount of years, and um, have some have some pretty good success and build on it from where we were before. So. Uh, finished second three times last year, three races that we ran. So it was nice to come out for the first time with the wing on and get the win and then have a competitive night in the high miler. So um, it was a pretty successful start to the Isma season, I'd say, and uh, hopefully kind of can transfer over to our Oswego season as well. So um, we'll talk about the Oswego season in a moment, but I want to follow up on something that Mike McVetta talked about with me last week, which was he said, you know, um, there, there, for me, the conversion from the top wing to the tail wing really isn't that big of a deal. Now, obviously, I don't want you to give away any of your trade secrets, but um, can you kind of talk in generalities about, um, you know, the the difference between the two setups? Is there really a, a, a big difference between the setups? And, um, you know, how could we go about um, maybe and again, I'm not saying we need to change a rule, but what I'm asking is, is there a way to maybe even close the gap even more? Is is there um, is it a case of uh, these these teams with the top wing, they just have to, you know, kind of keep trying and keep dialing it in? I mean, where are we, at, you know, in the comparison between the two, if you're talking about racing at Oswego? Yeah, um, I think from the, the Oswego rule change that came out, uh, 2019. Um, obviously, aesthetically, uh, the way the cars look and everything, it's it's a little more similar to what Ismo would have and everything. You know, the the wings that mount right. the cage, but kind of that freestanding um, looking wing. And actually, um, you know, some guys were able to pick up speed. I, I wish we could have yeah. gotten every car in the wind tunnel and known how it affected every car, and you'd get a lot of good data on it. Yeah, really. Um, but uh, it, I think it, it the the feeling of the car is a lot more like how an Isma. Uh, wing car would be when you're driving it around, especially at Oswego. Um, just oh. the way that the wing is, the height of the wing, everything like that. So I think that's to to Mike's point. Um, that's kind of where that feeling is there. Versus, you know, I started off my racing career with a, a shovel tail, shovel nose. Right. Um, obviously, we've come a long way since then. Um, but the feeling, you know, used to be such a dramatic difference changing over from Misma to Oswego. Um, and now it's not such a huge difference. You know, we make some changes. We have to make some spring changes, shock changes. Um, you're just accounting for that much more, you know, the, you're going from hundreds of pounds of downforce to thousands of pounds of downforce, um, you know, and, and uh, obviously running about a second faster uh, wherever you would go to. So um, you just have to account for a few things there and make some changes with it um, and then go from there. And then to your question about, you know, getting the cars together and everything, I, I think um, if you look at the high miler and you look at the Oswego race, and I think between the two, it was a, a pretty good point proven that when you can get all three series together or have a chance at it obviously if we go is off on the high miler weekend right. where most guys can go out and support guys and girls if they want to support there and same thing with the uh, king of wings race where all three divisions um you know can go for action there it was obviously your two biggest races of the year so far um with great car counts and really really good shows um good passing everything there um and i think you just need more more shows like that um, where there's just there's not a uh, you know a head-to-head racing versus each other. There's a there's a series racing out west versus at Oswego versus Isma, New England somewhere. Um, 
the schedule seemed to be coinciding a little bit better in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think that's really helped. Um, you know, the, I think through the rest of the season, I don't think there's any more conflicts between Isma and Oswego, which is great. Um, that, that usually doesn't happen that way. So that's nice to see. Um, but I think just getting the divisions together and then, you know, not necessarily making a new rule change or reinventing the wheel or anything, but just coming up with some different things. Like, you, you know, we've talked about in the past, I think sometimes when, we get all three divisions together. They run a Swego. You could do a special show where, you know, maybe you run it over a couple nights. One night you run with the the big wing on. One night you run with the smaller wing on. The Swego package. You do something. Um, it works for everybody. Everybody gets a good fair shot at it, um, or you know whatever it might be. And they, it always seemed like when you do go run out west, or you do have the rules, or you know you just have to tweak everything around a little bit to, right. to cater to everybody. And um, I think the series are doing a pretty nice job of doing that. Well, that's what I, I mean, it looked like, um, obviously there are a few of you who do an exceptionally good job with the top wing, um, with the newer style cars. And I think it seemed to me that the, um, the rub for the longest while was that, um, most of Isma still had, you know, the older style cars, whereas, you know, Oswego had all the aero cars and everything. And then it seems like more and more as more people build the newer style, um, you know, whether it's Isma or MSS or whatever, more of those cars kind of get out there. People are discovering how to change them over and realizing that maybe it's not such a big swing to do that. Um, the, the question becomes, of course, when you look at the high miler and you look at the king of wings, they were top wing races, right? So how right. how could we what what would we need to do? Is there do you think is there an incentive where we get um you know a number of the MSS guys and the ISMA guys to come and run a swigo with the the tail wing? It seems like there just aren't so many ISMA guys that are wanting to do that at all at this point. And um, only, a, you know, a few of the MSS guys, because um, what I've always thought is kind of what you said. If we could if we could have sort of a series within the series. So you have you have, you know, one big race at Sandusky, one big race at Star, one big race at Oswego. Now it should be the classic, the classic of the classic. Right. Sure. But but how do you how could we create something that would be, you know, a a formula where the cars are close enough to really put on a great show with each other that we could get enough money generated into. Cause I know obviously that's always the big thing, but how do we create that formula and sort of take it to three, you know, a show here, a show there, a show over there and, um, and really do something that we could, we could blow up into something big. Any thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, and as far as, as Oswego's concerned, everything there, it, it is tough for a lot of the, uh, you know, where you, you, you always have the invaders coming in doing that. It was always exciting and all that, yeah. but it's hard. We're running there weekly, and we're on such a razor's edge of from first place to 10th place might be the difference of a tenth of a second. Yeah, um, true. And you, you, yeah, and we're race, racing there weekly, so you just have that, you know, each week you're getting a little bit better. You're looking for that edge. Um, and it, as, as fun as that is, it also gets very frustrating to Oswego because it's just <laughs> it is so competitive yeah. right now. And ISMA is, you have some, every team is a top team. There's great equipment out there, everything. But I think one of the, the good things with ISMA is every time we show up to a racetrack, it's usually the first time everybody's been there that year. Or, you know, in case of uh, High Miler, some of the MSS guys had run there um, a couple times. Yeah. So um, they, you know, they have a little bit, but we're, we're all kind of learning it for that year at the same time. Whereas a Swego where a guy shows up, 
girl shows up in uh, July or August, we've already run 10 races. Right. Um, I do think I've been in favor of limiting the schedules a little bit as far as, um, you know, and obviously you want to get as many races as possible, but um, Oswego, um, where we have a lot of um, shows, we have our big shows, like we have the, the Champagne Memorial at the beginning, sure. um, Classic at the end, and you kind of have those bookend huge races, and then everything in the middle other than 10,000 to win is obviously you want to win a race at Oswego. They're all meaningful, everything there, but they're all they're, – they're between, you know, payout, everything like that, they're they're doing the best they can with it, but it's not, not big, big shows or anything like right. that. I'd be in favor of instead of 13 races throughout the summer – kind of do, you know, Dirt's kind of done the same thing a little bit where you can limit down, like you look at a Wheat Sports Speedway or something like that, where they only maybe run six to eight races during the year, but every show is a big show, lots of divisions there. Um, you know, it frees up a lot of weekends, a lot of time for people to get back ready for these deals. And then, I, you know, it obviously sponsors and everything. I'm not sure how they felt, but if you took, you know, spread out all those sponsors throughout the season, but then if you could get them into um, a couple nights, make the payout bigger, um, get a little bit more bang for their buck for each sponsor and everything too. I've been in favor of that, that I think that would help um, making each show bigger, making the car counts better. Um, and then obviously it takes a lot of stress off the teams. You know, this, this season for us, especially I've had, I've been very lucky where I haven't had a lot of wrecks in my career. Everything this year I've had two, you know, yeah, fairly major ones where yeah. able to get back ready, but it's, it's so hard to get back ready for that next week and get going but you know if you have a couple weeks off in between most races you do that then then it that takes that stress off and everything and um we already had to miss two races i wanted to this year between seekonk and we really wanted to be at a swego but um between some engine issues and um just me- like mechanical issues we had we just we couldn't do it yeah um so i i think that's one idea that would get it and then you know obviously getting the schedules aligned where everybody has a chance to hit all these big shows and everything um and doing it that way but I, I think that would be the best thing we're just you know we shouldn't have races where we show up and there's going to be a dozen cars somewhere or anything there um because there's a scheduling conflict or um you know travel or anything like that right that in time time frame yeah it's it's just interesting i mean i think we're almost in an era i mean what i saw saturday night with the king of wings race i mean it was an incredible show it was yes. just so much fun to watch um and you know it almost the idea occurred to me that we may have, and this is all. This almost seems blasphemous for me to say, but the the idea occurred to me that maybe you know, with my my desire to have sort of the big race and a swing of the big race, it, King of Wings is a top wing deal. Maybe the King of Wings is that big race that fits into my little sub series idea. Um, and then you go to the Sandusky Classic, the Star Classic, and I still wish that we could come up with a formula that allowed the Supers to go back to Indiana again and compete somewhere there because there is still, and I know this because I've talked to people in that area, there's still a lot of um, love for the Supers there. There's a desire for the Supers to be there, but of course, you know, somebody's got to grow it and you got to have that staple event, um, you know, and create sort of your four or five big shows that you, you know, you go get on, you know, whether it's flow or it's an actual TV network or Mav or whatever it is, but you get, and, and you, you get somebody to inject bigger money into it, um, to make it worth everybody traveling around. It's, it's kind of ironic that maybe the King of Wings might be the better formula for the Oswego piece of it than the classic itself, which was always the all-star race for years, but we're, we're just kind of at that point now where maybe, 
you know, maybe like you said, the Oswego regulars, it's just kind of a disincentive for these outsiders to come in and run classic when they only, you know, they, they, when you guys are running there 10, 12 times a year, um, you know, and they, they don't have a setup for the, the tail wing. Maybe the King of Wings is actually the, uh, the formula to make that whole thing work out right. Yeah, it, it, it can be, it's, and I think that was, you know, that was the point of the, the rule change in 2019 with the wing changes and getting that. And you did have some guys, you know, John McKennedy came out first race and he yeah. almost won that race for a mechanical issue. Yep. Um, Mike McVett has obviously been very strong. There's been a few guys that have really, and, um, you know, Chris Purley for all intents and purposes, he's been an Isma racer. He has right. sort of an Oswego car. It's sort of a hybrid deal, but um, he's had success. And I think, um, you know, this first classic was tough just because you lost so many people just because of the timing of it. Obviously the border not being open. Um, I'm very curious with this classic coming up uh, with the, you know, the actual 2021 classic, what happens there with car count and everything. I, it should be much better than it was at the, the spring classic um, and getting everything set. And hopefully with, if the borders, everything's ready to go there and um, we can get all of our Canadian racers and everything down, then um, I think that's going to really help. But in last year, I think you're on your way to really getting some good shows in car count and it, there's just a lot of excitement brewing and, it just everything obviously right. turns upside down and fell flat on its face with it. So, um, and I think we're still kind of recovering from that part. So could be, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's hard to say. And I, I'll, you know, all I can say with those ones is it, it for sure, it was, um, you had points for Isma and MSS at that race. So you were, you were going to get good, um, good turnout from them. Right. Um, you typically for those Isma shows at Oswego, you get a pretty good Oswego turnout. Like I said, I would have loved to be there, but, um, with our early season engine issues and everything, we just we can't risk the um, running too many extra races. We're going to run some of the smaller tracks and everything. But yeah, um, and that was always the issue too when it came to the bigger tracks. Is you know uh, being competitive with Isma guys with the uh, um, you know engine differences. And but Isma's done a great job of of narrowing that gap down with some rule changes and RPM cool. rules and gear rules. So um, that's been a huge huge help. Or you know you can go and be competitive with the Isma is my guys and um you know Swigo's kind of tried to reciprocate that i think a little bit and try to streamline their rules to get people to be able to come back here and be competitive and um i think so far they have been it's just a matter of you know lapse and time for everybody to to get to that point well uh definitely some great discussion and good food for thought and i love that uh and you know i think uh you know you, you see these things uh, get talked about uh on on the web and and um, oh, yeah. you know people get but the reality is that you know i think um and i think i, I hope anyway that we've just modeled the fact that you can have some discussion about it and be open-minded and and just you know kind of look at it in a matter of fact way um and and uh you, you know and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think we all have the same desire which is to see the class grow uh and figure out how to make that happen and keep it from you know uh you know from from going any further backwards in terms of car counts uh you know and so i think that's fun um okay i want to talk about your season now um and it has not been as you said it hasn't been the season that you hoped it would be by any means right and i feel like it's one of those where you you said it perfectly um you know you go for all this time and you kind of 
lucky, 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 oops, overdrawn at the luck bank. Like this, it hasn't been lack of speed. It's just, you know, you've had the crashes and the motor issues. I mean, you, it's just one of those years where, um, and every driver has them, you just can't quite get it all together at the same time. Yeah, and it's it's one thing too. And we've you know the the two races that I did have Rex and it was at, you know right in the top three. And, yeah. Um, honestly, just just going for the win and um, I kind of we're obviously we're racing for a championship and we're still still involved with that. It's a kind of an uphill climb now with it. But I at this point in my career, I just I want I want to win races. I I we have a good enough car to do it in both. Right. You know whether we have the wing on or it's non-wing or however you want to call it at a Swigo now. Um, we it's I, week in and week out. I feel like when I show up to the track, you know, for years and years, I was always, we were trying to figure it out or I was trying to get enough um, uh, experience as a driver and do it. And I, I feel like we've finally hit a point where um, we know the car enough. I'm comfortable enough. I have enough experience and I have a lot of confidence um, that we can win any race we're entering. And, that, and that's why, you know, we are trying to do some traveling and, and, and enter in many, as many races as possible. Um, and, uh, so at least for that sense, you know, racing in the top three, doing that and, and, uh, you know, get, having wrecks and stuff at that point, at least you're going for a win. You're doing that. It's not like where I'm racing around in uh, the back of the pack and just, right. you know, get caught up in something. And so it's, it's kind of a, uh, catch 22 on it where it feels good that at least we can come back to this. Okay. We had some, but at the same time, it's like we had something we, we were yeah. there. We we're, you know, so close. So, um, I really was hoping by this point in the season I'd have a bunch more wins, everything there with that. And we were, we were really close. I think we had a, we had a really good shot at a couple of them there, but, um, it's just like you said, it just happens that way sometimes. I, I do think I had a good shot at the, uh, the spring classic there. The car was, was really good up to the point that I made an exit with 50 to go. Um, and anything can happen at that point. It's a whole, whole nother race, you know, once you hit the lap 150 mark. So, um, you know, you never know with that stuff, but I'd, I'd like to think that we're, you know, going to be pretty decent with that. But, um, and then certainly this last weekend with the high miler getting the win on Friday night, and, uh, third in the, the big race was, uh, kind of really set us in the right direction, I think, for, sure. for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely, uh, that definitely sets things in a positive light as you go down the stretch into August, and that's right when you want to have the momentum. Um, the Spring Classic deal is interesting. Do you want, do you think that you could have had something for Tyler had he not run out of fuel and had you obviously uh, been able to finish? Yeah, well, I was I was racing behind um, uh, Michael Barnes for a while there. Yeah. Um, I was in fifth place. He was, he was fourth, and then uh, he started picking his way through. Um, I was the car was kind of around that point. Um, that is one thing we've still been kind of figuring out is with this, this wing package we have now is at what point does it kind of settle in and get going? And right. I really felt like at that point it was, I could, I could really start racing with cars and doing that. Um, and then I would think it was Doug Didero that was just in front of me there. And obviously he ran into some issues and, um, I had passed, uh, Otto just, um, you know, 10 or 15 laps before that. Um, he wound up finishing uh, second in the whole race. So, um, and I think I had a, a better car up to that point than, than where he was at. And, um, but, um, it was hard. It's, you know, it's hard watching the sidelines and you can see the guys just, just running the cars and running as hard as they can and, and getting sideways and racing. And, and, uh, you know, I felt like my car was getting better and better with it. So, um, you know, it would have, could have, should, I think we, we definitely had a, a shot to be up there and a good shot at a top three. Um, but instead it's a, you know, an early exit and, yeah. Um, you know, trying to hustle the switching engine out and everything for the next week. So uh, it was definitely, definitely a bummer. It was nice to get the pole. That was something I've, I had actually had a, hadn't had a fast time at a Swiegel before. I've been close. 
Um, but to get sit on the pole for classic is amazing. So, it was. um, that was a huge accomplishment. Just another, you know, check off another box and in my career that I was really happy for. So we're really proud of that. And, you know, hopefully heading to this next classic, we can do a repeat and, and get a little better in the race. Now, um, Talk about the tire situation for you. Um, I mean, what have you observed? Uh, and I, it's fun just to kind of pull the different drivers uh, about all of this because, you know, there's been so much talk about, you know, the shortage and whatever. Um, where do you feel like uh, uh, Oswego's at and Super Modifieds are at with regard to the tire situation? And is there anything at all? that we could learn from this um, to, to say, well, um, maybe we don't need four new tires. Have we been getting four new tires a week right along? Or, I mean, where are we at with all that? So, yeah, they, uh, Mike Silman's been handling the um, uh, tire situation as we go. He's been the, the Hoosier rep that's there. He, he does a phenomenal job. Um, you know, I think even from the other series, a lot of everybody's kind of looking to him for, for answers and knowledge and everything for, um, for what we can do. So, um I'm in a good situation where I, I, I see him every day. So I, I get to talk to him and everything there with it. And um, I know they had come up with the idea that uh, we may, well, it was more than an idea. We were the, the biggest issue we had was left front tires um, with having a shortage on that. So they came up with the idea that we're going to have to start running uh, week to week with those where one week you can get a new tire on the left front. The next week you're going to have to get, you run a used one and run that same one. Right. And, um, the actual race that I won Friday night at Sandusky, they decided to do the same thing with Esma. I won on a used left front tire. Um, the race that I was passing for second going in the, uh, twin 35s when I wrecked there, I was on a used tire and I was running probably my fastest laps I've run all season in a feature. So I think we really learned that it's, it isn't really necessary. And I know a lot of, uh, there's a, a lot of the teams kind of knew this, that it's, it isn't necessary, but it, it turned it kind of snowball effect from years ago where all of a sudden somebody shows up one week and they got, they have four brand new tires. So, okay, we have to do that. We yeah. have to do that. And it kind of turned into that. So I think the other divisions of Swigo where they've had a rule, they limit the amount of tires you can get through a season um, and when you can use them. Um, I think they've really shown you do that. And obviously with supers, with the horsepower we have, you burn through the tires so much faster, but um, I think we have shown that it is possible to get through a season and you don't need all those extra sets and come back each week and practice on a brand new set and, um, and, and do that. So um, I think there's definitely been a, um, a little bit of a learning curve with it, but uh, so far from what it sounds like, we're, we're good through the end of the season um, with our tire count and everything. Um, I can't speak for the other series. I'm not sure exactly where they right. stand with their, their numbers, but certain tires, like the right rear tire we run is all the same for all of supers. Our left rears are different. Um, but it sounds like as far as the Swigo goes, Mike Solman's done a great job with working with Hoosier and we're, we're good to go for the rest of the season to be able to get all of our races in and, um, not in any jeopardy of losing any races, which is, you know, more than most tracks or series can say right now. So very, very, uh, uh happy that he's been able to do that and have to put the Speedway and Hoosier and, you know, big thanks to them for taking care of us. Do we, could we get to a point? I asked Mike about this uh, a while back on one of the shows, and he said he thought we were close. Um, could we get to a point where two tires a week uh, is is reasonable at Oswego? Two's going, it would be tough. Um, the only reason for that is because we run, you know, all four of our tires are a different tire. Isma right now, you're actually, your right front and your left rear are the same tire. Um, oh, as far as size, compound, everything. So you, you technically could do that where one week where you ran at your left rear tire, you could swap it over and run it as a right front 
um, you know, that's a possibility, Oswego, because all four are different. It's so hard, and what they don't, what I think we don't want to get into is, is somebody deciding, okay, am I going to put that new right rear end, or am I going to, on my right front was canvas last week, do I have to run that again, or can I do, you know, and, and trying to decide there. So I think an overall for the season, if you broke it down and, and essentially made it so it was four tires uh, or three tires, whatever it is, per race, um, and if somebody needs to do an extra tire and then you throw in a couple extra sets is good enough. I think the days of, you know, there were some teams that would show up and be firing tires on for practice and uh, going for fast Fridays and doing tires and you'd go through two or three sets of tires in a weekend on some week. I think those days are pretty, pretty much over with. Um, so I, I think you could do a season long count on it and do that. Um, but I don't, I don't know if we'll really get to the point as far as, you know, right now where it's only going to be two tires, but I, I wouldn't be surprised with maybe three, um, you know, three, three and a half average, something like that, essentially through a season and kind of figure it that way. Now, uh, again, for the fans who don't really understand this, the way that all this works, why is the tire on the left rear different for Isma than it is for Oswego? In other words, why um, I'm going to be the one to ask the question that a lot of fans would ask. Why could we not make the rule the same for both or have find that kind of happy medium um for both is it because of the difference in the downforce with the top wing versus the tail wing or what some of it is so uh, if for isma we run a different compound on the left rear um than we do um for oswego oswego has a purpose-built oswego left rear tire um okay. so that's that's their own tire through hoosier there's a mold for it everything there um isma the left rear that they run is one that they run um for some various things and everything other series everything um we were actually surprised a few years ago we showed up to the high mountains in 2017 and we didn't realize the rule that changed that the uh you could run the the left rear tire the same exact tire on the right front so it's a little bit bigger tire like i said a little bit different compound um and we didn't realize that was even a thing until we were run the friday night show we were going into saturday and we found out that that had changed since we because we hadn't run isma in you know four or five years right um why it changed there, I'm not exactly sure. I think there were some there were some cars and everything um, that it was uh, for the with new builds and things like that. It was going to be a good thing, and I think for the reason of just you know it was uh, now you had the same tire for those that made things a little bit easier. So I think there were some reasons there. Um, you know, if you could get Oswego and Isma and everybody on the same lifter and get and get some um, uh, some similarities there, I think you'd be a lot better as far as. You know, obviously now with Hoosier, it's a lot easier because you're building more of the same right. tires, exactly. everything like that. Um, somebody who has a little more knowledge of the compounds through Hoosier, one of the engineers could tell you, you know, what the difference is. But obviously there's got to be some type of a, a, a middle ground between them um, that makes some differences. Um, and then, you know, still make the racing good because that's the, the thing you run into is, you know, we ran into 2015, 2016 where the racing at Oswego was, was fairly lackluster, and a lot of it came down to um, once we, they changed some tire compounds and things like that, the racing got a lot better. Yeah. Um, there's some different things that can change there. So you definitely don't want to fall into that area again, but um, that's, you know, you can do some tire testing, figure that out, and then try to get everybody kind of on the same page with that. And, um, you know, maybe, hopefully maybe it'll bring the, the cost of tires down if more tires are streamlined and produced that way, and uh, that could help everybody too. So that's certainly an idea to, to take a look at going into the future. 
<clears throat> well, that's what I was thinking because I, when you said that you can use the same ISMA left rear on the on the right front, um, you know that maybe you get an extra week out of a tire that way or have some different options. Um, and uh, you know if you could do something like that at Oswego as well. But you know, again, it's I feel like it's always kind of a moving target too because I've talked to some folks who kind of understand his tracks age. You know, and even from one year to the next, the track's slightly different. Uh, sure. You know, so again, the tire that worked perfectly last year or the situation. So I know there's a lot of, um, you know, things involved there. But it, uh, again, anything you can do to save cost at this point, um, you know, that still make, that keeps the racing the way that you want it to be um, is a good thing for the racers. You get more cars and, you know, and then more fa- more fans as a result of that. So. Um, exactly. interesting stuff. Okay. So for, uh, for you, uh, obviously the rest of the Oswego season is, uh, is, is, uh, for sure. Um, I know you're probably going to go to the star classic cause you do pretty good there. Um, yeah. We don't want to miss that one. <laughs> um, you know what, what, uh, else besides Oswego, what else is on, uh, your, uh, docket for this year? Yeah, we're, um, uh, we're, more than likely going to be running Lee Speedway this week. That's right. Um, we're pretty much set up yep. for it. We we had such a good run with Sandusky. We were kind of looking at each other in the shop, and we were going to get ready to kind of convert back over to Oswego. And I looked at my dad. He looked at me, and we both had the, the wing was still on the car. We said, yep, let's do it. So <laughs> um, that's the plan right now. And this I to love do that. it. And that's one of those tracks we can – what's that? I love it. Doing yeah, the double. yeah, and it's, it's kind of old-school style. We'll go yes. Get a little crazy, but we're going to go run there and – you know, I think uh, you might have a couple of autos. Obviously, going to do. He's got two different yeah. cars he's racing, and but um, that's still it's still going to be quite the weekend. So well, yeah. we'll do that. Try to probably roll in about six in the morning and uh, sw- try to switch everything over, and then get up to the the Swigo Speedway and go race a full night there. So, um, but um, it's it's one of those situations <laughs> you don't get this opportunity a whole lot. Like I said, Lee was a very good track for me last year. Uh, finished second to John McKenney there. We had a pretty pretty nice race. Um, I feel like our Swego program right now is, is in a good place. So just an opportunity where you can go and if, you know, try to get some good runs there, That's if you awesome. can possibly win both and do it, you just, you don't get that chance a lot. So it's just one of those things where we said, man, it'd be really cool to, to, to do something here. So we're, we're going to go for it. Hashtag real racer. I love that. Chasing <laughs> racing wherever it is. Uh, okay. So star classic after our classic. Um, and then, you know, uh, basically are you after the classic, is it, you know, whatever else is left, you're going to try to hit them all or. It's, it's typically been star classics kind of been our, um, you know, our, our final finale for the year, everything. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll see what's there. There's always Thompson on the schedule. Yep. Um, for us, it's just between, personal life and work and everything it's always our busy time of year so it gets so hard ah. to um to to do everything there with it um i believe i know there's jennerstown the week after um the oswego classic but same thing there it's just it's it's we need those weekends off in between to um just get ready for everything and hopefully as long as everything goes smoothly even at that it's it's hard to yeah um especially with just the one car just kind of switching it back for doing that and everything so um more than likely it'll be our classic and then star classic and then you know we'll see from there thompson's always a question mark but um more than likely that may be the maybe the season for us so basically another month here <laughs> that's it it's hard to believe but here we are i know it's august already that's insane how fast this yeah. year's gone okay i can't resist uh this question because uh nema coming back 
it's a classic weekend for the first time in a number of years. You have run midgets in the past. Do we see Jeff uh, hop into a midget and go play? Would Jeff do it if Jeff gets an opportunity, or is Jeff just focusing on winning the classic again? Uh, typically in the past, I've always kind of just focused on, you know, the classic. That's the big show. If um, if the opportunity was there, you know, I'd have to think about it because it's it, last time we did run, it was a number of years ago with my own car. Um, it was, it was a ton of fun. Those cars are so much fun around Oswego and everything. It's such a different, uh, different thrill than it is racing the super. Yeah. You're running a similar speeds to be honest, but it's just a whole different way. You're driving everything. Um, we still have my, my midget. Um, it's oh, sitting in the corner with a tarp on it. Yeah. It's, uh, we're actually going to be probably putting it up for sale. So it just, we haven't raced in so long. It just needs to go through and get some updates to it and everything. But it was such a great car for me. It's a lot of fun, but, um, we just don't have the time for it to invest the proper time to make it, you know, make sure it's we're going to be competitive and everything like that. So um, I will definitely, if I'm not racing it, I will definitely be glued to watching it because they're so much fun to see there. Um, and I think they got a, a lot of good racing that night and the rest of the weekend. So, um, you know, no matter what happens, it'll be a fun weekend, but um, I, it will be fun to have the opportunity to, to race a midget again. I always, I loved all the midget racing years we had. So it was a, some good racing for us. Nine different divisions coming up on Classic Weekend. I feel like that uh, more than deserves the festival, racing festival status uh, at this point, which is awesome. I just hope, uh, you know, the clear skies prevail through the entire weekend because there's not a lot of wiggle room for delays. Uh, So uh, I I don't want to let you go uh, without giving you an opportunity to uh, talk about all the players who help you make it happen because you got a bunch. And uh, so uh, have at it, my friend. Yeah, I well first and foremost just want to thank my my family, um, my wife, my mother, and everything for they do for us and the support that they have. Uh, my grandmother, um, letting all of our our guys and and gals come out and play with us and all that. Um, my whole crew and everything. Obviously for this weekend we got half of our crew going with us to uh, the Lee race and half of them staying back so they're fresh and ready to go for us and uh, can hopefully wake us up when we get back and everything and and get ready for Saturday. So they, they do an amazing job and, um, you know, I'm happy for them to have finally have some success this season, be able to enjoy that a little bit. Um, our, uh, our sponsors and everything, um, skips fish fry, uh, magic Quant construction, uh, AMP auto parts, and then, uh, Tracy road equipment for coming on board us. They've all been in huge helps this year. So, um, and, uh, Barzi auto body with, uh, Bob Barzi who paints our car and everything for us and makes it look pretty. So, um, but, uh, we couldn't do it without, uh, any one of them and, uh, we need them all there and, uh, their support's been great for us. So, um, I'm kind of hoping we can finish the rest of the season strong. We only got a handful of races left and, um, hopefully we can kind of, like I said, continue our success from the last couple weeks here and, and bring it over to the rest of our season. Now, see, let that be a lesson to the rest of you drivers who are listening to this show. I don't know if you noticed this. But Jeff did exactly what all of you should do. He thanked the women first. Yes. Because without the women, you know, and he wants to be able to, like, you know, go home and not have to sleep on the couch. So thank the women first, then get to the guys. Uh, great lesson job. Learned, yes. That was, yeah, lesson learned. Exactly. <laughs> I interviewed Keith Champagne a few years ago, and he thanked everybody but his wife and his mother. And I called him on it. I'm like, why did you, you know, I'm like, you'll be lucky to get out of central New York alive after this one. Uh, but, uh, 
you, you, you know, you, you got this down. You even kept saying uh, guys and girls, Allison Sloan will thank you, too. Um, yes. So you, you have got this down, Pat. We always enjoy having you on the show. Jeff, I could spend three hours talking to you um, and uh, really uh, enjoy watching you drive, too. I mean, the, the, just seeing you grow up into this and knowing that you and your dad and, and, and the crew, um, you know, built your own cars, worked and worked and worked till you finally perfected the formula um, and, and now have just uh, kind of almost led the way in versatility uh, between the, you know, the Oswego setup and uh, the ISBA setup and been so successful at both. Just, uh, just a lot of fun to... Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to The Groove. Uh, hope you appreciated and enjoyed uh, that interview with Jeff Abel. And again, I thank him for taking the time. Uh, as we do all of our guests who take the time to uh, talk with us on these shows. Uh, everybody's busy these days, so I uh, really appreciate when somebody takes the time to uh, come on and have some fun with us. Okay, number 79. You guys are probably all going to laugh when you find out that the first car and driver that comes to my mind with the number 79 is actually Chuck Siprich in the Bentley Warren backup car, the old Swift car, the night that Chuck drove it at Oswego. He was the last one to race it in competition at Oswego Speedway, I believe. And he finished in the top five. It was, I don't remember the year, maybe, I don't know, 80, 81, somewhere in there, 79 even. Um, but it, I would think no. I guess it would have to be uh, maybe. I don't. I don't remember what year. But at any rate, he ran the car. Um, he had run it. It had been run earlier at the New York State Fairgrounds. I think Bentley ran it there, and Chuck ran it in a Swiggo. Chuck had another ride at the fairgrounds. I, I don't remember kind of what happened at the fairgrounds earlier, but he did pretty well with whatever he was driving because I think. When he finished in the top five at Oswego in that backup car, I think he won the um, the little challenge deal that they used to have between Syracuse and Oswego. They used to do a deal where um, the highest average finisher of both the Syracuse race and the Oswego race won the challenge. Um, and I think there was some sort of, you know, prize reward or something for that. But... Um, there were a few drivers that used to participate in that, but I, that's the first 79 I remember. I think probably because it was so unique. I tend to, for whatever reason, I think my 
um, you know, over the years, I think things that are unique and different, the moments that, you know, were the oddball moments like that. It was the only time he ever drove it, but he, he did good. Um, I think for whatever reason, I kind of etched those into my brain um, and I'm starting to lose details, but um, that's what I have my old programs for. But um, in this case, that was what stood out. Now, other 79s, I think, um, Howie Brown, maybe? I don't remember if Howie was 79, maybe? And I also want to say, for whatever reason, a guy named Harold Brown, and I don't think they were the same guy, were they? I don't think Harold was Howie. I think it was two different guys. Um, but uh, Grandpa Howie Brown, I think, was 79. I can't remember. And I also want to say somewhere back in the day, there was a Harold Brown that ran that number, too. But um, those are the only ones that come to mind. There literally, as far as I know, has not been anybody in the modern days, the, the you know, the last number of years that's run that number and um, until, until Otto Sitterly, Otto became sort of the owner of that number um, when he came to Oswego and started running. So between like 1980 and whenever, I don't even remember when Otto started, but when, between 1980 and the time Otto started, there was no 79 that I remember. So... The younger fans will all associate it with Otto and also with Brian Sobis, too, because Brian had it for a, a year when he ran Supers, and he also ran it in the SBS class for a number of years. Um, but when when I do this kind of look back, focusing on the older days, I only remember a couple. It was like there was this huge gap, but I just thought you might find it funny that the first 79 that comes to my mind it, again, because I think it was just sort of that oddball situation that um, I know that there was a point in time where the rumor was that Jim Cheney was going to team up with Bentley and run uh, that car, but that never happened. Um, and so uh, Chuck did drive it, though. And so that was the first one that came to mind when I started thinking about 79s, because um, as much as I appreciate Brian and, of course, Otto, you know, my mind always wants to go backwards and start from the old days and work the way up. So um, in, in, the, in, in the more kind of modern eras, uh, I think there was that gap uh, between the time Chuck ran it that one time as the number on Bentley's backup, and then um, when Otto first started, which I think was before, I think Otto ran it. I think he ran SBS now that I think about it. I think he did drive in the limited SBS, whatever, uh, class for a bit. And uh, then he went to Supers, if I remember that right. I think he ran some in the SBS. Um, and then uh, went. he ran Supers as the 79. And when he did that, then Brian, who I think was just an Otto fan, I think that's kind of how, because that was on his go-karts. Um, he was always 79 in the go-karts and I've known Brian since he was in go-karts. So that's kind of how that all went, I think. But, um, so they, they were the, the latest versions of the 79, but, um, as far as earlier ones, I feel like both Browns, um, Harold and Howie were 79, I think. 
Um, and uh, again, Chuck Siprich, I think. Was, so if there's anybody else in the old days, uh, you know, by all means, uh, throw it in the comments. And, uh, you know, but I think I've covered them all between old and, you know, in current times. Um, so it's again, these are fun to do. Uh, you know, just brain teasers and my brain needs all the teasing it can get lately, but, um, it, it's, it's just fun to, to look back. And again, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to cheat, go back through programs or whatever. I just, uh, try to do it top of mind, basically. Um, just more fun for me that way. Okay. So have some fun with that. If there's anybody I missed, um, you know, it's probably a one-off at some point, maybe Isma or something that I missed, um, you know, feel free to toss it in the comments um, because then it gets your brain working too. Okay, let's talk about the 77 Classic because the whole kind of overarching theme of this show uh, is Kempton Dates. And Kempton, uh, his return to the track this weekend for Old Timers Night, uh, Retro Night, um, just... Incredible. I mean, I just, uh, man, that's, I can't wait to see it on flow. Um, so the 77 classic, first of all, since, because this, this kind of is the classic, you know, we, we always want to preview classics. So this kind of is our classic preview for this week. And our look back, we, we previewed the upcoming classic and look back at some of the, uh, the fun classics of the past. And so I chose this one. Um, let's kind of take a look at what was going on at that time. First of all, in 77, we had come off of Ronnie Wallace's track championship in 75 in what was one of the most competitive, most amazing years in speedway history into the 76 season where there again were a number of different winners, but the championship came down to Jimmy Champagne versus Steve Joya and uh, Jimmy won. But remember 76 was the unveiling of the radical offset front engine car uh, for Jimmy. He didn't race it in competition. And again, for those of you who don't know, the trivia question of who is the first driver to race Jimmy's radical offset front engine car in competition. The answer is not Jimmy. It's Steve Joya. The last race of the year, last point race. Anyway, they were uh, fighting for the championship. Steve crashed in practice. Jimmy put him in the brand new car uh, and, and let him run. Um, I think Steve, uh, Steve ended up, uh, I don't know, seventh, 11th, something along those lines. And, and uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, I think either won the race or maybe finished in the top three, won the championship anyway. And, um, then we move into 77, Ronnie Wallace started the year 77 in the 76 car that he'd driven the previous two years. But then, uh, Dick Rayner and Roscoe Towns sold the entire operation. They even had a, a modified, it was one of Jimmy Champagne's old cars and old mods. They bought it. They had. Uh, run it in the 75 200 where Ronnie had a, a pit fire actually uh, ran it as a gremlin in 76 and maybe even for a race or two in 77 sold everything to Richie Evans. Richie bought everything 
the supers, the modified, there were, I think there was the, the current Holinsky that Ronnie had driven to the championship. And, and I always heard about, um, another car, but I don't know if that ever materialized. It might've been just a frame, but, um, at any rate, sold everything out. So Ronnie ended up running most of 77 in Steve Miller's car, the 16 car. Um, Jimmy ran his Roadster, the older car, um, and he and Kempton Dates had a furious battle for the points. Kempton ended up winning the championship. Kempton became the hot dog. Kempton built bunches of cars uh, (laughs) in that period of time. I think he built, I don't know, probably seven or eight of them, if I remember right, at least half a dozen. Um, And then he had a couple of his older ones still out there. And um, so Kempton was kind of the hot hand that year. Um, And, of course, you still had the Joyas, the Bellingers, the Logans, the Coniums, and now Warren Coniums, another story, because in 77, Warren Conium had started the year in a brand-new dates car that he owned, Warren owned, number 46, uh, kind of the new Rutledge Rocket tribute car, if you want to call it that. Um, Warren won a feature with it, flipped it at Fulton. Um, Then the flip did something to the motor. So while he was waiting for uh, Doug Sire to rebuild the motor, the uh, Dave McKnight had bought another chassis. Dave McKnight Sr. had bought another brand-new Dates chassis that Kemp had built over that winter and had Johnny Spencer in it. Well, they parted ways, and Warren Conium jumped in the six, in the McKnight six, and uh, then sold his 46 to Del Meeks. And so Conium was... Uh, he became a real threat in that car, like just before the classic, it took him a couple weeks, I think to get kind of get going in it. Uh, but he was really a threat by classic time. So, uh, we go into classics, uh, classic 77 with a full field of cars, um, tons of competition, two things about that weekend that stand out. Uh, and I am kind of cheating, because I'm looking at the 50 years of classic book, but I re- obviously I remember them both anyway, because I mentioned both drivers already the Ronnie Wallace and the Rainer town team showed up with a brand new car on classic weekend of 77. The car was later banned for safety reasons. Um, chassis, I don't know, the cage was outside of the frame rail or something. It was, they just, something about, they didn't like. They let it run a couple times and banned it, um, which was too bad because I wanted to see what that car would do. I, I felt like that car had potential. It would have been fun to see uh, what he could have done. But um, they showed up, and then his former car that he won the championship with showed up too with Richie Evans' orange uh, big orange 61 colors on it and the number Jimmy Winks hot lapped it on Friday night. Richie was going to race it on Sunday. Didn't happen. They found some issues with the car, parked it for the weekend. Ronnie did make the race. Um, 
So those were a couple of the things. Now, the other thing that had happened during the year uh, was Jim Cheney had had a, his vicious fire, fiery crash with the Salve 04. And Cheney was burned fairly badly. Um, and so uh, he was unable to race the classic. The car had come back. I think Dick Batchelor raced it, raced it a time or two. And then uh, for the classic, they hired Merv Treichler, Marvelous Merv, the modified driver to race it. So he was in the field. And um, so uh, that was another uh, kind of interesting note, uh, unfortunate note. And so the, the weekend itself kind of started uh, with, with, again, a number of uh, interesting stories. So as we look at qualifying for that classic, um, it was pretty interesting, actually. Um, they, you know, again, back then you were getting a lot of cars from, from different places. And it was a lot of fun to, to sort of see the, uh, the variety of cars. Um, and so as we look at, the time trial results from that year. Um, we see that, let's see, uh, gosh, who else did we have that was, well, let's just run down the results. So Jimmy Champagne qualified. He was the first driver. That was the year he broke the track record. First driver under, uh, under 18 seconds qualified with a um, 17 Nine two eight. No, wait a minute. That's actually not correct. Um, let me look here a minute because I think they may have actually had this backwards in the um, in the program uh, in the classic book. Nope, I guess not. I don't remember Jimmy. I don't remember Jimmy running 17 seconds with the older car. I'm not sure that's uh, I'm not sure that's correct. I'm, I'm, let me look here. Um, no, it, it well, okay. Uh, I guess he did because uh, Del Meeks is listed in this uh, in this time trial rundown. So um, yeah, I guess he did. Uh, that's interesting. I I didn't remember that he'd actually broke 18 seconds with uh, with that car. Um, no, actually, I see what happened here. He did drive the new car. Yeah, okay. I told you, my brain's getting old. So I just put this together. That was the area Maynard Troyer in the backup car. Okay, so he did. This was the first year he raced the offset car. He built it in 76, did not race it in 76. Actually, it blew a motor, I think, on Classic Weekend of that, that year. So he parked it. So, yeah, that was with his offset. Jimmy Champagne, your pole sitter. Um Eddie Bellinger outside pole. Now, this is what's interesting. Jimmy ran a 17.928. Eddie Bellinger qualified second quickest, 18.336. About four tenths of a second slower. Interesting. Um, Warren Conium qualified third with a six. Steve Joya fourth with a nine. Um, fifth fastest qualifier was who was number five? Chuck Siprich in the 36. Um, sixth fastest was Bentley Warren. Seventh fastest, uh, gosh, who was Kempton Dates, uh, was seventh quickest. Eighth quick, 
on the field was Baldy Baker in the Sonier 22. I love that green number 22. He was eighth quickest. Uh, ninth quick was Jimmy Winks in the Doug Duncan 07. Tenth quick would have been Gary Albritton in the Flying Five. And that was the uh, Limblad car, I believe. Eleventh quick. Where are we here? Major Troyer in the uh, Champagne backup car qualified 11th. Uh, qualifying 12th quick was uh, Mark Letcher in the Tobin 21. He always ran good in classics. Uh, 13th quick was, where is 13th here? Uh, Joe Paino, Fireman Joe in the 06. 14th quick was Denny Wheeler in the 96. 15th quick, Eddie Thompson in the 91. Norm Backrath in the uh, Holinsky 40. Storm and Norman, 16th quick. Um, 17th quick was Mike Rizzo in the 34, 18th quick was Doug Sire in the 52. That was uh, a Dates chassis as well. 19th quick was Merv Treichler in the 04, 20th quick was, uh, Jimmy Thompson in the 18, the orange monster. Ed McAuliffe owned that car. 21st quick would have been... Um, Jamie Moore in the 44, 22nd quick, Ollie Silva in the 09, 23rd quick, Brian Herb in the 11, 24th quick. Uh, there's Howie Brown. Now, Howie was 17 in this. Uh, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was Harold Brown in the 79. Maybe Howie wasn't 79. But uh, Howie was running as 17 in this race. 25th was Jeff Stevens in the 24, and I think that was the... Um, the Limblad number two car, that gorgeous purple number two that uh, Jim Cheney started the 76 season in. It was supposed to be a midget or a sprint car. They banned it. I guess a sprint car. They banned it as a sprint car. So uh, came to a swigo. Cheney loved driving that car. Uh, Jeff Stevens drove it in this classic. 26th quick. Russ Gray, the late Russ Gray in the 27. That was his last classic. Jimmy Muldoon, 27th quick in the 37 car, the orange uh, Corb 37. 28th quick was Larry Record in the 1. Uh, 29th quick was Tommy Leeson, old Snoopy in the 97. And Dan Denny, your 30th and final uh, qualifier in time trials and so there is your uh, there is your your qualifiers that came out of time trials. The race itself, um, I feel like, was one of the more entertaining classics, just because again a lot of stuff going on. But of course, the big um, the big highlight um, may have been actually the multi car crash. And I say highlight uh, should say low light. I guess the big event um, that a lot of people remember that that uh, classic four was uh, the big crash that happened when somehow Del Meeks, Merv Treichler, uh, gosh, I don't even know who else was involved, um, but they got together and Meeks flipped all the way down the front straightaway. I think Mike Rizzo might have been in that too. Um, but uh, Meeks flipped the length of the front straightaway. It was just a nasty series of rolls that he did. And um, they took Dell to the hospital. He ended up being okay, but I think after that he uh, he quit uh, the worst end of that. And um, 
the other thing that happened during that uh, weekend that was in terms of crashes uh, was that was the year that Jack Hopkins actually landed on the catch fence on the back straightaway. He kind of went up in the air and tip and rolled over in the air and came down on, on his roll cage upside down on the catch fence and it caught his arm and uh, had a very serious arm injury. And again, I'm not sure Jack ever raced after that. I think I remember that. Uh, I think I remember he bought a car again. Um, and I think it was Jerry Buskey's dates car. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody can. Um, I'm probably wrong about that, but it just I feel like um, he he bought that car and Ron McLeod raced it once and it never raced again. I think, um, and it, and that might have been uh, that was probably a, you know a two or three years later. But Jack uh, felt bad for him. That was a bad crash. Um, race again. Other moments. Nolan Swift. Uh, the last miracle. I mean, he didn't win it, but I feel like in a way it was a big win for him because Nolan, <laughs> he's, he was known for making drastic swings at a race car um, on classic weekend between Saturday and Sunday. Well, um, had, had uh, uh, issues again uh, it, during the weekend and didn't make it through time trials. So they went home, cut the car, lengthened the frame, um, came back on Sunday, got in the car, won his heat. I think he won his semi, started 31st and drove to 7th. And I remember him running the outside of the track and just passing cars like crazy in the earlier part of the race. It was it was one of the best drives that I, I saw out of Nolan in the years I watched him race. Um, just so much fun. He and Ali Silva battled back and forth. They ended up seventh and eighth. Ali Silva was in the booth car. Oh nine. Um, so that was a, a, a big highlight of that race. But of course, um, it came down to, and of course, and, and I'll throw this in too. Uh, if you're telling stories about that race again, I said, you know, one of the more interesting, cause there was a lot going on. Jimmy Champagne's a uh, radical car broke early fuel pump pulley or something. He gets out of the car um, and under a red, under the red flag for the Del Meeks flip. Um, Major Troyer gets out of the roadster. Jimmy relief drives for him, brings the car back out in the track, started in the back and ended up with a top five out of it. Um, that was Ma- the year Maynard um, tried to get the attention of the, uh, the, the tower to open the small pit gate there uh, on the outside, going into turn one and um, didn't get that open in time, so he actually jumped the fence, outer fence, um, and uh, went out through the front entrance to the to the track <laughs> into the parking lot where his car waited because he wanted to get to Fulton and jump in his modified, which was waiting there for him um, just in case. And I, I think when he got there, they told him he couldn't race the feature because he didn't qualify through the heats. So it was all for nothing, but um, uh, just another little uh, nugget from that classic. So came down to... Uh, Kempton Dates dominating late in the race um, was going to win it. Warren Conium was not going to race with him, couldn't catch him. Um, Conium was having uh, a little bit of an issue with a six car. He was kind of protecting second, I think. Um, and then Kempton ran dry uh, and ran out of fuel. So uh, Warren ended up getting the win, and Steve Joya finished second after um, winning 
the classic the year before. Uh, Jimmy Winks in the 07 was third. Jimmy Champagne in his roadster, relief driving for Troyer, got fourth. Denny Wheeler finished fifth. How about Mark Letcher? I mean, you just got to love it. Mark Letcher sixth. Nolan Swift um, finished seventh. Uh, says Eddie Bellinger eighth. And Kempton Dates ninth. And Jamie Moore tenth. Um, I'm trying to look here because I think that... Um, I don't think they've got, uh, they don't. They don't have Ollie Silva listed here in the finish that I can see. Um, that's interesting. So somebody got the finish wrong in the 50 years of classic because Ollie Silva is not listed. But I do believe he finished right behind Swift um, in eighth place. And then it would have been uh, Bellinger and Dates, I think, behind him. Um and then Jamie Moore, Norm Mackworth, Joe Paino, Larry Record, and John Bush. Then George Rowe, Nick Rowe's son George, in the last edition of the uh, uh, Claire Trierweller, um, number 12. Uh, Brian Herb, Jimmy Thompson, Wayne Landon. Here's another story. This is another great story about that classic. Wayne Landon and Billy Law made a bet with Warren Conium that they could build a roadster in 10 days, and qualify for the Classic. And Warren said, if you do that, I'll eat your left front tire. Well, they did it. And uh, and Landon finishes, uh, you know, in the top 20. And so I think it was the following race, uh, there, was a, there was a bakery in Oswego. Uh, don't remember the name of it, but the, the, the bakery baked a, a little cake, a little round cake, in the shape of a, and designed it like a tire and, and presented it to Conium so Conium could eat the, uh, eat the left front tire. That was pretty funny. Uh, Mike Rizzo, Slim and Sammy Carista in his 30 car, Russ Gray, Tom Leeson, Baldy Baker, Jeff Stevens, um, Jim Gray was driving for Steve Miller in that classic. Um, then Harold, uh, Howie Brown, Dave Morton in his 70 car, Chuck Siprich, Ronnie Wallace in the new 76. Uh, Dan Denny, Paul Strasser, Bentley Warren, Merv Treichler, Del Meeks, Gary Albert, and Doug Sire, Jim Muldoon, Jimmy Champagne, and Eddie Thompson. The Rookie of the Race Award, Jamie Moore. How cool is that? So um, a lot to talk about with that classic. There were a lot of uh, of storylines to follow. Um, You know, just some some great memories, um, some really interesting pictures. you know, again, a lot of um, a lot of a lot of things happening. Um, it's interesting because I'm looking at 1977 here, and I see somebody um, somebody put a picture of Kemp from '76 in as they were fueling the car um, in here instead of the '77 car. Um, but uh, I didn't even notice that till just now. Um, but uh, just a, a great win for Conium and McKnight. McKnight winning it in his first year. And here's, here's the, the, the overarching uh, uh, story out of this. Kempton Dates didn't win it as a driver, but he did as a builder. And it was one of his best friends, Warren Conium, that ended up uh, taking the checkered. Um, and so just a, a really storied classic race that year. 
you know, again, a lot of things to, to discuss from there. Um, so I thought you would enjoy that look back, and, and I just feel like it was appropriate um, since Kemp is going to have the book, his new book, and his, uh, his uh, new old car, championship winning car has been restored, and uh, shirts, it's going to be at the track on Saturday. Go, again, go, uh, go buy the book. I think uh, Jody said there's going to be only 150 available. Uh, of the first printing, there's an all-color printing that's coming that you can get. I think it's 79 bucks for that. Um, if you, if you want a color keepsake of it, um, you can get that. They're going to print more, I think, for Classic Weekend if they sell out of these. So, again, go buy them. They're, uh, they're for a great cause. Just trying to, um, you know, trying to, to, to take care of the expenses to print it. And then also, obviously, there was... Uh, some expense for the restoration and such. So I think uh, I, I know there's not. Uh, it's not like they're all going to uh, uh, head out on a nice cruise on the book money. That's not what it's about at all. Books and T-shirts, uh, just memorabilia, basically. And uh, T-shirts are cool, really awesome. Um, I was humbled to write the forward for the book. It just means so much to me to be able to do that for Kempton. And um, you know, I just uh, again, this show is about. Um, as much about preserving the history of super modified racing and the Oswego Speedway as it is anything else. So it's moments like this when the community comes together, the family comes together. It's amazing what we can accomplish if we would just all work together, put our own, you know, uh, needs aside or whatever, and just work together uh, in something like that. And of course, uh, lots of restored cars, Steve Miller restoring um Swifty's old 10 pins, one of the older uh, early 70s versions. I think the 70, 71 car maybe. Um, and, uh, of course, Larry Trinka working on Steve Joya's 76 classic winning car. He's got the Joya Roadster, as they uh, they call it. Um, and uh, I assume he's made tremendous progress on that. Uh, would imagine that maybe. I don't know if we'll see him up there for classic with it. Uh haven't talked to him in a bit, but um, I would imagine next year for sure, uh, which would be uh, 45 years, I think, next year uh, after Steve won that classic. So just uh, really cool, a lot of fun, um, lots of great stuff, uh, cars being restored, love seeing all of that. Uh, and again, uh, as we close the show for today, uh, sorry that we couldn't uh, hook up with Cam. We our schedule just didn't mesh this week. He tried. Uh, <laughs> I just had a lot going on, and so did he. We couldn't just couldn't get. I wanted to get this out um, on Friday evening. So, um, thanks to all you guys and girls uh, who listen to the show and share it. Um, again, this is about just uh, getting it out there, and I can tell you, we're working on some cool things. That will help to. Uh, we think we, we want to do some other things. Um, we're uh, working on a web page for uh, the show, so we're going to have that coming up soon here. Um, and uh, we're we're going to try to do some more content and uh, some other things. So we're um, we're we're doing uh, some some really fun things. So um, again, thanks to all of you. Thanks to our sponsors, JNS Paving. Um, uh, uh, Skip's Fish Fry 
And, of course, uh, IPC Indie, IndiePerformanceComposites.com. Uh, all those guys are great friends of mine. Um, I, I appreciate them all as friends uh, as well as, uh, of course, as uh, supporters of the show. Hope you guys all have a great weekend at Retro Night. Go out there. Um, say hi to Kempton. Buy a book. Buy a shirt. Uh, you know, get his autograph and just make him feel special. He is just a super, super Man, and I am so thankful um, that I have been blessed enough to be able to get to know some of these drivers um, almost as, you know, as just as people um, in my adult life, um, whereas they were my heroes as kids. And, and you'd see them and get their autograph, but you didn't really know most of them as, as you know, as individuals very much. Um, so thankful for that opportunity. Um, they... Kemp and, and the drivers of that era made made our youth. That was that was all there was back then. Um, you know, there wasn't anything any more special than going to uh, Swigo Speedway on Saturday nights. So um, go see him, shake his hand, make him feel welcome, have a good time. Hope the racing is great and safe. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk all about it on episode 80 of the Inside Groove. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you again and so long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff.